The people of Israel mingle with godless foreigners, making themselves as worthless as a half-baked cake. Worshiping foreign gods has sapped their strength, but they don't even know it. Their hair is gray, but they don't realize they're old and weak. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you. Welcome. It's uh, great to be able to worship with you today. If you're online, if you're online today, I just want to say thanks for hanging in there. Uh, When technology works, it's great. When it doesn't, well, it doesn't. It's just as simple as that. So whatever happened last week, we thank you for hanging in there. Uh, Our apologies to that feed. It really, literally was out of our hands. Uh, Sometimes it's not, sometimes it is. And so I just wanted to draw our attention to that and uh, just thank you for hanging in there. Hey, we've been in a message series uh, called Pursued for the last few weeks based on the book of Hosea. This prophet preacher was commissioned by God to demonstrate his holy love, God's holy love, in a strange and very peculiar way. He was told by God to marry a promiscuous woman who is lured away by other loves or other lovers. Gomer is her name, and she had children and uh, was even in this uh, relationship, covenant marriage with Hosea, and was keeping her eye out for other things all the time. She was pulled away even after having children. She was not faithful in her marriage covenant. Now, why in the world would a holy God tell Hosea, a prophet and preacher, to marry and run after Gomer, who was prophesied she was going to be, you know, unfaithful for simply this? It was to illustrate what Israel was doing to his love that he had for them. God is the faithful husband who loves his bride and truly wishes the best for them. Yet they continue to worship at the feet of the culture around them and the godlessness of the culture around them. Do you know what it is to be betrayed? In your love? Do you know what that is? To be faithful to someone or a situation that eventually you see it turn to unfaithfulness? I have a feeling that some of us in this very room know what that is. We know what it is to feel the sting of betrayal. And even more than that, maybe even the pain that we carry today. Yet even in the midst of our pain of that kind of betrayal, of breaking of a covenant, of a love that we thought we had, it doesn't measure anything close to God's. You may have felt it in marriage, in a friendship, in a workspace, politically, medically. We all know what it is to feel, a little gentler word, slighted. 
Yet we will never, never, never comprehend the breach of the covenant that God has been dealt by those who are consistently unfaithful. And as we have said in previous messages, God is faithfully consistent. And we, we as much as we, hard as we try and much as we think we are good, we are faithfully inconsistent. Yet what we'll discover today in this message is, is today is anything that God didn't know. He, didn't, he knew all of this before he created covenant with mankind, with humanity. Can you imagine that? Knowing that one was going to be unfaithful, he knew all along that the other was not going to be faithful. I mean, he is the one who rescued the Hebrew people from slavery. Their cries met his ears, and he came, and he rescued them, and he blessed them. Today, I'm calling the message Worthy Worship. As God's very own people, we are to worship and serve him only. If you say, I'm a follower of God or I'm a follower of Jesus, your one and only soul devotion is to him and him alone. And thus, as I even say it, that's why we are faithfully inconsistent. Because we have so many things that are pulling us away. When we do not worship and serve Yahweh only, we can be described like those in Hosea chapter 7. I find it rather funny, uh, rather kind of a cool description. When we worship at the altar of the culture, we are as worthless as a half-baked cake. Now, you have friends over? Give it a try. See if they like it. They'll probably be kind to you, but they'll say, mm, later, I promise. Have you ever? I mean, think about that. Half-baked cake. Now, we're not talking about a birthday cake, yet I think it works that way. They're actually talking about bread, bread that's doughy, to be honest. But it works in any scenario. When your devotion is distracted, you will be like a half-baked cake. It is interesting. Since we're talking about worship and what God desires from us, we need to take a journey back in Israel's history, uh, to grab a framework of what worship really is and what he is asking not only of the Israelites and Israel, the northern kingdom of which Hosea was at, but what he's asking from us today. I want to remind you, the Hebrew people were enslaved by the Egyptians for 400 years. 400 years. They, They hear... God hears the cries of these enslaved people and he sends Moses to redeem and rescue them from their slavery. 400 years after rescuing the Hebrew people, God gave them guidelines for thriving and flourishing. We often see them a little bit different, but really, truly, they are guidelines for flourishing in our lives. We call them the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words. There are a lot of others, but they are really Uh, God's guidance for our flourishing. Rules to live by, but truly a lifestyle or practices which become pathways to freedom and flourishing that often are quickly discarded because of distraction or because of deliberateness on our behalf. Uh, These are meant to be blessings in our lives when we live into them. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to 
Take a journey back to Exodus chapter 20. I'll be reading the first seven verses again to remind ourselves, remind our hearts and our minds of what God has asked from us, not only of Israel, not only the Hebrew people, but truly what I believe he asked from us today. And God spoke all these words, verse 1, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall, number, verse 4, you shall make your, for yourself an image, in the, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or the earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. This is the covenant framework of which worship sets within. And this is the covenant framework of which Hosea is, is married Gomer and is in, you know, in this demonstration of his holy love uh, or God's holy love to, to Gomer. Israel in Hosea's time is infatuated with the cultures around them and is adopting and adapting the worship to those little G's those little G's around us, they have abandoned the God who desired and designed them for his best. Friends, you need to believe and know that God created you for his best, for his very best. Paul states in Philippians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, and all my prayers for you, he says, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to the completion until the day of Christ. God's design and desire, his purpose is for you to, to, be, to be an ever-increasing receptacle of his ever-increasing glory. It's an incredible thing. How, how did he do this for Israel? We have it. He led them out of slavery. He, he freed them from bondage and he gave them a promised land. He gave them freedom and this is the weight that they carry. He gave them their name. They're God's people. They are no longer Steve's people or Andrew's people or Bill's people. They are God's people. They are called after his name. This weight, this name is sacred. The culture around us is tempting us away from the truth of God and what he has stated. The gods around us are attempting to tell you that God is leading you out of the promised land and into bondage. This lie is perpetuated continually to you on a regular basis. They're basically saying, you know, he's leading you out of more into less, that you will get less. But God has always been leading his people from slavery, from bondage, into freedom, into more, from from less to more, out of, a place of, out of a place of scarcity into this place of abundance is God's desire for you. I'm afraid that even in this early set of this message that there may be some in the room that may be wondering, really, does God have, actually have my best at heart? Does he really even care for me? 
You're wondering whether he has because you haven't seen it manifested. But the enemy is twisting your mind and your hearts. He's wanting you to believe that God does not have your best, if that's your thought framework. But God has your best because the evil one is perpetually lying to you. Just as he lied back in Hosea's time, he continues to lie today to you. God is and he was taking care of his people. Yet, when our eyes and our hearts are devoted or distracted away from our devotion, we then find ourselves in a compromising place. So that's why in Hosea, God sends this prophetic voice and this dramatic illustration of God's holy love. It's dramatic love. Hosea's commission from God is to live through the suffering of Gomer's rejection and betrayal faithfully to God and to her. That in love, that there is suffering. There is and can be this betrayal. We've said this before, but this is not a relationship in which you would pair up your daughter or your son in. This demonstration is wholly separate from anything we would ever want or desire. God's love chases and pursues us. I want, to, I want to frame this even more for you, how God takes care of his people, how he did then, and I believe how he still does today. So if you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to start in the 10th verse. He wants the Israelites to understand his great love for them, the Hebrew people, and he also issues them a caution. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore your swore to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build. Can I say that again? You did not build houses filled with all kinds of things you did not provide. Again, you did not provide. Wells you did not dig and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. When you, when you eat and are satisfied, can I... I just want to sit there for a second. God's provision is good. It is always flourishing for you. It's always there. The distractions of our culture and the gods of our culture continually kind of dissuade us from this very truth. But just as God provided for the Hebrew people, then he continues to provide for his people now. But he goes on in verse 12. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now, who who in the world could ever forget the Lord? Right? Can you imagine any of these Hebrew people forgetting the Lord? I mean, for giving them, you know, wells and olive groves and vineyards and food, all of these things. Who would ever forget the Lord? There can't be anything like us, right? I mean, really, the caution. Verse 13, fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you, for the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous 
God. And his anger will burn against you and he will destroy you from the face of the land. God's desire for the Hebrew people in which he's he saved from slavery in which our, our covenant that we're reading about is encapsulated in, says, do not forgive me. Do not ever forgive me. He saved them just as he, if you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, has saved you. And he gave them his name. His name. You see, followers carry God's image and his name. So a lot of times when we think about uh, that, that one commandment, don't take the Lord's name in vain, we think about cursing or swearing, which I don't think the Lord really desires us to do that either. But it's more about how you respond and react to the world around you as a follower of Jesus. Uh, how you worship. A, a real quick read of Genesis 1 will remind us that all of humanity has the image of God in them. It's, some of us have said, or I've heard others say, that it's kind of the thumbprint within. It's the hunger that drives within the very people around us for something other than God himself. But those of us who say, I'm a follower of Jesus, we wear his name. So what is worship then? What is worship? What is he calling, calling not only those then in Hosea's time, but what is he calling us to? He's calling us to give our full attention and affection to him. That's call. That's all he's asking. That anything that else that you bow your heart or your mind or your soul to is less than the one true God. Israel, during Hosea's day, was bowing their hearts and their minds and their souls to the gods of the culture around them. As we find in Deuteronomy chapter 6, this idolatry will not and is not tolerated. It has consequences, as Alston does. God attempts to tell his people then and and now that as their creator, he, he has designed us and desires to give us the best. But we have to be receptive to it. We have to be open to it. See, the gods of our culture desire destruction. They know what God has said. They know that if you part ways with him, that there are consequences to sin. We call it discipline or punishment, I suppose but it's a natural consequence of walking away from your creator and your design, the one who designed you. You may be saying, well, what, keep using this gods of the culture. What is that? What is that for me? Well, I think that they resemble the same allure of false love that were presented to the Israelites during, during Hosea's time. They are the same temptations presented to Jesus by the Satan in the desert of self-preservation, of power, and provision. So while Israel is named for the God who provides, heals, supplies, and takes care of them out of his great character, out of his great love, 
we are tempted to seek all of those things on our own and under our own power. So what, are you, what about you? What are your Baals? Because that's who they were worshiping at the time, the Canaanite god. These are a couple of pictures of Baals of the day that they would find themselves bowing to, living for, and allowing their lives to be shaped around instead of the God who was not seen, not created into an image. Now think about this. The temple during this time or earlier in this time would have contained his presence, but his presence wasn't necessarily seen, couldn't be manifested in that way. Not like those that are created with hands, with our own hands, with our own minds, with our own ways. Yahweh is not contained in an image. We have a cross, but it's not an image of God. We have an empty tomb, which I would sometimes like to replace for the cross. It's a great image because it really is the catalyst to our community of faith but we don't have an image of God. Yet all around us, there's the temptation to create images. So let me, let me ask again, what are your bales? What are your gods? Here are three quick questions you can ask yourself. Based out of, really, um, out of the temptations that were offered to Christ. How am I tempted towards self-preservation? Jesus knew there was something greater than the immediate self-gratification and self-satisfaction that we often are fed into ourselves. This is so big and that we are getting sucked into it in our culture, even inside, I would say, the walls of the church. Who takes care of you? You or God? It's another way to ask it. Number two, how am I tempted to use my power to save myself when, with little concerns about leveraging it for others? When we walk into a room, as one leader would say, how, if, if you're a person of power, even if you're not, what are you using when you walk in that room to leverage it for others? Are you looking out for yourself? Are you looking for power for yourself? Number three, how am I tempted to make myself famous and known? This is super tough, especially in our day of of self-gratification through social media. I want to be known. Listen to my words. They are powerful. And I don't really know where the balance is, to be honest. But I think there are questions that we have to ask and that we have to pursue. The gods of our culture, just as the gods then, speak to our flesh, not to the spirit. They are not self-denying. Baal worship was and is what it was all about for them in the moment. Sexual pleasure, fertility, power over agriculture. I mean, there were so many things that they were seeking, and it was all about their gain, their dollar, their dominion. God's design for us 
is mutual submission in the creative order for the greater flourishing and transformation into the promise innately imprinted on every soul. That's his desire. We see it in Ephesians 5. It's wrapped in a marriage, but you have to understand that really what, God, what, what Paul is attempting to say is that while in a marriage it's mutual submission, in life it is mutual submission. This idea of how can I see God developed in you in a greater way. This is why when we consume at the bar of cultural gods, we are often dissatisfied and quickly find other gods to, de- to, to fill that deep hunger within. We move from things quickly throughout life instead of really understanding that our satisfaction comes from him and him alone. We drink what he gives us. What we find in Hosea is that God will not cohabitate with other roommates of our making. It's a pretty strong word, but it's true. He won't do it. He says this in Isaiah 42.8, I am the Lord, that is my name, and I will not give my glory to anyone else, nor share my praise with carved idols. God's not going to share his glory with any other. The heavens declare his glory, his, the heavens declare his glory, Creation declares his glory. The cross and the empty tomb declare his glory. The word of God declares his glory. And he desires that you become a greater receptacle, declare his glory, but you have to worship him and him alone. He will not share the space with any other. In fact, what we find in Hosea is that God is stating through the marriage of Hosea and Gomer that in this prophetic prophecy is that he loves Israel so much and he desires for them to return that he allows them to go their way so that they will find their return because he's not going to share his space with anybody else. He has designed you and me, the community of faith, the eyes we find in Scripture are plural. He has designed us to worship him only and solely. And if we're not careful, when it comes to worship, we can start thinking about the smaller things of and are contained in worship. Like, hmm, did I say the wrong thing? Uh, am I, you know, am, am I living my life important, you know, important ways, like such as, you know, should I dance? How should I use my music, money? How should I do those things that are part of my life, those individual small things? And I think that God is vastly concerned about those things, how we do creation care. But it all starts in in one place, and it emanates from one place. It's that we worship him and him alone, and we hear from him first and foremost. We start looking at ourselves or other people and start declassifying them in some way, shape, or form because of something we don't like. We forget the main goal. The main goal is to help people worship God, to lead them to him, and we start to classify even our own lives that way. Peter Gregg's book, How to Hear God, he writes this. Paul was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. That's in Acts chapter 17, verse 16. And it's worth us pausing, he writes, to register that some, that some of us would probably feel very differently 
that we're so comfortable within our context that we are in danger of assimilation. We no longer find aspects of its idolatry greatly or even mildly distressing. Our problem is not with hearing God's voice in the culture, but rather with completely confusing the spirit of the age with the spirit of God. I'm not sure if that was Hosea's issue or Israel's issue during Hosea's prophetic ministry, but I think Pete Gregg's right. We are continually confused by the spirit of the age, the spirit of God, if we're not bending the knee, bending our hearts and our minds to God and God alone. So what about us today? How are we to keep our eyes fixed on and only on God? Uh, When I say fixed our eyes on on God, I mean our hearts and our souls continually pursuing him. Are we going to get it perfect? Absolutely not. We're faithfully inconsistent, but he loves the faithful who are inconsistent. But I think allowing the daily grind of our daily days to create space where we do not ask the questions, are we following Jesus, is dangerous. And that may make no sense, but how, have you ever been busy throughout your day and never questioned, whoa, what I'm doing, does it honor Jesus? Did it honor Yahweh? Will it bring him glory? We can create subtle drift in our devotion to a holy God who calls us to be holy too in a world. He calls us to be distinct and different. And we must ask, as followers of Jesus, are we? Are we worshiping him? And is it worthy worship? So let me ask you this question. What are you worshiping? What are you worshiping? I think there's only one way to go about this question. It's really to ask the Holy Spirit to ask you that question. The Holy Spirit to to move into your life and ask this question of you, just as he did, just as David did in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, search me, God, and know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts, see if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. This is a question for this space, but it's a question that you carry with you and you take home. You hold, Lord, as we as we round ourselves into the coming week, Lord, how can I worship you? Or am I with my work, with my words, with my mind, with my heart? I do believe that Hosea gave us a statement, a, a, a description, actually, that may help us to evaluate our own souls worshiping or not. I'm not sure it fits everybody, but it may fit you today. Does your worship resemble a half-baked cake? Do you come into this space? Do you go into your quiet time with the Lord kind of going, eh, meh. It's great to see Bill. Meh, God. The message, eh, you know. Sometimes he's on, sometimes he's off. The songs, it really didn't strike it out of the park today for me. Do you realize that has nothing to do with it? Has absolutely nothing to do with it. 
Your worship is your devotion, is your attitude, your desire to seek what truth God has bringing to you, to us, together. Let me ask, do you want a fresh work of God in your life? The interesting thing, the comparison between Yahweh God and Baal God was vast. Was vast. You had to work harder to feel good about Baal and his work. There was things you had to do. God God just desires our devotion. He wishes us to give our full attention, our heart, mind, soul to him. It's not a try harder. It's a surrender to him and allow the spirit to do the fresh work in our lives. Could there be something stopping your worship? I mean, a significant stoppage. You have a bail in your back pocket. That when things are not going the way you want them to do, you pull out the bail and you prostrate yourself to it. I don't know what that is. Could be your work. Could be your hobbies. Could just be, I'm taking care of me today. And God wants you to love you as you love your neighbors. Jesus' response to the Satan in the wilderness when he was tempted was this. It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Hosea is attempting to rectify, to redeem, to reconcile this community that had gone off the rails and was worshiping other gods. What about you today? Let's pray. Father, we're reminded that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that, that Jesus Christ is Lord. That there will be one day that that recognition will be there. But, Father, for some of us today, that, that recognition of our, of our worship of you has been really a back burner thing. Distracted by life, corrupted by those gods we have play, been playing to. Father, you only know our hearts, and I ask for your spirit, just as David prays, search us and know us. Find if there's any waywardness in us. For the worship to you, Lord. Worship to you, Lord, is worthy. You're the one who rescues, redeems. You're the one who provides. You're the one who heals, sustains. You are our God. There is no other. Father, for some of us today, we may need to declare just as was declared in Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
and serve him only as a new, new marker, a new landmark. Lord, Hosea is attempting to get our attention. Lord, may your spirit get our attention. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.